Hi, everyone. This is Gideon Fiddles, Editorial Director, Custom at PR Week. I am thrilled to be joining you today for this podcast entitled Brands, Influencers, and Inclusive Marketing. It is brought to you by Citizen Relations, and we thank them so much for their support. I also want to thank the wonderful leader who is joining me today for this conversation, Shilpa Tawari, Executive Vice President of Sustainability and Social Impact at Citizen Relations. Shilpa, it is a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for having me, Gideon. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I believe you're based in Toronto. Is that correct? I am. I'm, in, I'm based in the Toronto office. But as you know, Citizen has offices in the U.S. and U.K. as well. Absolutely. I was just making the point because Toronto is an absolutely beautiful Canadian city. There are quite yeah. a few nice Canadian <laughs> cities. That one happens to be a really, really nice one. So just for the heck of it, if, if, if any of you out there want to use this as a travel guide, Toronto is a nice place to visit. So is Montreal for that matter. But anyway, I digress. What we're going to talk about today is the Citizen Inclusive Influencer Index, which is a research study that revealed cornerstones of creating trust-centered, authentic, inclusive influencer marketing. And I just think the combination of inclusivity and influencer marketing is so fascinating. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation. And with this podcast's goal being to help all of you brands out there and all of your agencies who work with brands, of course, ensure that their influencer marketing practices are growing in an authentic way, I am sure you're all really ready for me to start this conversation. So let's get to it. Shilpa, I kind of want to start at the start. How did the study begin and what prompted it? Oh, thanks for the question, Gideon. The study started soon after I arrived at Citizen. I was looking for some information on ethnically diverse, uh, just stats on ethnically diverse citizens in Canada. We were looking, we're doing something for a client. I don't, I don't even, I don't remember who the client was and exactly what we were looking at, but we wanted data on um, different ethnicities in Canada, what mm-hmm. Canada looked like. And other than our census data, it was incredibly difficult to find out what Canada now looked like. Um, and that's when I thought, well, how can if you know our job is to communicate authentically to customers and and employers whoever our clients are trying to connect with how do we do that when we really don't have a full understanding of who we're trying to connect with and then we expanded and looked at the US as well and realized that there wasn't a lot of under detailed understanding of what our cities and communities look like and if we are in moving into the future it's more and more vital than it has ever been before to have a a very good sense of who your customers are. It's no longer about customers, it's about customer segments. And there is a real desire for authentic, real connection when you're communicating to customers. Let me ask you a question, actually, because obviously I'm based in the U.S. I know you're based in Canada today. Um, Obviously, one of the reasons this is such an important conversation and such an important study is because, as you mentioned, the census, the numbers clearly indicate the what the United States population is going to look like in the not too distant future. Um, but I'm not going to lie. I don't know about Canada. Does Canada seem to be trending the same way in terms of minority, majority, majority, minority as the United States is? Oh, very much so. I mean, in Canada, one in four Canadians is a child of a foreign-born parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, our growth is immigration. And in the last two years, most of our Canadians are f- are from India, Canada, and the Philippines. Um, it is astonishing how uh, diverse Canada is. I mean, obviously, Canada's a large country, and that diversity is very centered in larger cities and not, mm-hmm. maybe not so in, in more rural communities, which you might see the same trend in the U.S., mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me that we don't put more time into understanding how our demographics are changing because, as you said, I mean, immigration 
is there's a recent study and our population growth is declining. It's, it's about at two. And I believe that's for North America. And that's dangerously low because that impacts economic growth. So mm -hmm. people are not having yeah. enough kids and, and our growth is really going to come from the populations that are coming into our country, our country, both the U.S. and Canada. But we're not doing enough to really understand who they are and and connect with them authentically. But and they have purchasing power. Their purchase, how they purchase and how they use products may differ. And and I guess I don't. I'm still astonished at, that there's that disconnect of under, mm -hmm. really yeah. changing how we think of the customers. I'm realizing our customers look so very different from even ten years ago. No, that you know that 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 is just so true. And you often your conversations about how the agencies and in-house communications department need their teams need to represent what the population looks like. But this is all part of a conversation. I mean, obviously that's a, that's a different conversation, but even, even when it comes to studies like this, it's really interesting how little information ethnically so many brands have. And actually this is kind of a good segue into the next question about there has not been many if any, studies done on ethnic use of social channels in the ways that studies have been done for different age groups. And again, let me just preface this by saying there may have been studies done on them, but there haven't been many. Okay, I think that's a fair thing to say. So why do you think that is? And were there any findings that in your research that you were surprised by? I think one of the reasons why we haven't really looked at ethnicity in a particularly detailed way. So there's a large amount of body of work around different age groups. I mean, we're very interested in Gen Z right now, mm -hmm. looking at millennials um, and then gender. Um, and I think the reason that and gender, I mean, it's really male and female. We actually haven't looked at gender from a non-binary perspective. And I was reading a stat that in in the future and it, it didn't tell me how closer and far the future was, one third of the population will not identify in binary terms. So we need to even start to expand that that understanding, gender of male men and women. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of ethnicity, I think a lot of it has to do with people in decision making uh, positions, people who are deciding what we see and what we hear are not very diverse. And so for them, it doesn't always occur to them that oh, wait, like I'm actually speaking to very different people now because you get comfortable with what you know, you kind of stick with what you know. And so I, I think the reason why there has been so little research and very and little insightful research is because we don't have enough diversity in um, roles where they make decisions about how we're going to information we're going to put out into the world. Um, we see, I mean, in the last 10 years, we've seen more gender diversity when i say gender i mean by i'm speaking in this context in a binary term mm -hmm. men and women mm -hmm. um we haven't seen a lot of racial diversity um and and i i know the race conversation has always been something that people have had a difficult time with and i, I think in the last two years it's become more than apparent that um People of color are no longer patient, patiently going to wait for the conversation to change. They want to be act, see some action, mm -hmm. and and they have money to spend in terms of customers. They have purchasing power. So if you're not going to speak to me, I'm not going to spend money with you, your brand. Um, and so that's why I think the lack of diversity uh, or lack of focus on you know looking at and understanding different ethnic groups and how they use social media. Um, 
has happened. Um, and then in terms of surprising, what was interesting was the number of ethnic, uh, ethnic individuals, ethnically diverse individuals who rely on social media is significantly more than white consumers. Um, and I think, and that is largely due to the lack of representation in mainstream media. Uh, social channels allow you to create your content. It's very easy to access. Doesn't really matter how much money you earn. You can find a way to access, you can find a way to put on content, uh, and you can find connections. And, and what was really interesting is we found uh, Indigenous communities in Canada and Native American uh, communities in the U.S. really lean into TikTok in a very significant way, because that's where they connect with each other, learn about their culture. Um, and it's a way to revive some of the lost culture, some of their you know stories that have been lost. It's also how they connect to political activism. Um, Latinx communities as well are leaning in significantly in TikTok. And what I noticed in Canada, which was interesting, was that TikTok is also connecting with the Indigenous community in Canada. And I don't know what came first, if they noticed the trend that Indigenous communities were really leaning into their platform um, and then decided we're going to support this, or if they were focused on Indigenous communities. I haven't um, looked into that, but it, it's fascinating. It, social media has really changed the landscape and allowed people to be active participants in uh, creating a world that's slightly more representative. You know, Really, thank you so much for that because, you know, I'd obviously seen statistics that certain demographics actually do rely on social media more. I never really thought about it from the perspective of it's because of a lack of representation in mainstream media. But, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, you're right. And that's, you know, that's also a problem with the media, but that's very, very interesting. And, you know, again, we're all about good segues here. And this is actually one of the, I think one of the issues that honestly makes conversations about ethnic groups somewhat challenging is terminology. The term BIPOC has become popular fairly recently, but where are we ultimately with landing on that term? So the ter yes, the term BIPOC has become particularly po popular in the last two or three years. I, I actually didn't hear the term until then. And in, in Canada, we've large, so in the U.S., that's, that's the term that's been um, created and, and utilized. And then in Canada, most, we use mostly BIPOC, but in, in British Columbia, they've switched it to IBPOC because our indigenous community is larger than uh, the black community in British oh, wow. Columbia. But generally speaking, when you create a term like that, you're still centering it on the white experience. It's white and everyone else, right? Just like LGBTQ plus is straight men and women and then everyone else. Um, and we need to start taking the time to actually understand all these variety of, uh, of um, ethnic, eth ethnically diverse groups because they connect to information and ideas very, very differently because they're informed in different ways about how, uh, different inputs in terms of how they see the world. Um, and so we're finding that ethnically diverse individuals want you to know that I am Indian. My family is from India. You know, I am not BIPOC. It doesn't resonate with me. It's just, it's six letters and, and we keep adding more letters to it um, as we sort of identify people that don't fit into uh, BIPOC. Um, and so that's when, I mean, I, I agree with you that I think part of the conversation is difficult because we're always worried about using the right word. Mm -hmm. But I think if you come to the conversation, and, and this goes for brands, if you come to the conversation from a point of like, we don't know any everything, 
but we want to connect with you and we're here to learn about what we need to you know what we need to know um, we also understand that terminology is evolving right um, I was the uh, we don't you know the term Hispanic is not used as often as Latinx because Hispanic mm -hmm. is really colonialism right and so we're learning that the US census is now moving towards using Latinx which is far more inclusive and so in this space, there's really uh, there's a lot of learning to do. No one ever really knows all the answers. Listen to the people that are the most impacted, and ask them what's the right terminology. And you'll hear different. You know, some people will prefer to hear the word black. Some people will prefer African American. So take the time to listen. Um, and I think if people feel heard and see that you're making a real effort to understand how they want to be identified. They appreciate that and they will work with you and partner with you and be interested in you. And I think, so we have to, I mean, I think now more than ever, there's never been, it is now more than ever, we have to be courageous as leaders, as individuals, as brands. Um, and you'll be recognized if you're courageous. And courageous means this is my intention and, I, and this is the impact I hope to make. I may not land and if I don't, tell me and tell me how to do it better. Because I find that customers, I was reading a study, customers want to partner with brands. There, there's not an interest to call them out. I, mean, we're, I think brands are always afraid they'll be called out. But a, a recent study I was reading was that customers actually want brands that they can partner with on this journey, that they see a brand who's doing something and saying, I, I get it. I understand. I might not like everything, but I think you're working on it. And I, I want to I know more about you. I have to be honest with you, Shilpa. You are so knowledgeable about this. And by the way, everyone out there, I just want you to know, she is doing this without any notes, okay? I wish I could say the same for myself. That's really impressive. But the truth is, what you're saying is so interesting and so important to brands and their communicators that I'm almost forgetting that I'm the one interviewing. I'm, I'm kind of like listening like I'm outside of, the, outside of this podcast. I almost forget that I'm the one that's asking you questions. But I just remember that I do, so I have the next one for you. And basically, it's about co-content creation, so what are some findings on how brands can keep the messaging they want, but authentically work with content creators to connect with their audience? And I think this is a really good continuation of where, what we've been talking about thus far. Yeah, no. And I think that's an interesting question because, I mean, so what we did focus groups, we did the survey in the study to, uh, to, and surveyed approximately 2,000 ethnically diverse individuals in the U.S. and Canada. And then we did focus groups with influencers because we were keen to understand how influencers, what they were doing to connect with ethnically diverse uh, communities. Um, and influencers, they gave us more insight into this whole idea of co-creation. They had said, you know, when we are given a script, the material without a doubt will perform Far uh, will perform. I don't want to use badly, but it won't be as engaging as mm -hmm. uh, as content that they create themselves. Right? They know how to speak to their audience. They have a relationship with their audience. They have trust with their audience. Influencers are. Uh, telling us that co-creation is far better for the brand and it's far better for them. And so I asked one of the influencers, I'm like, if this is, if you're seeing the data that shows far greater engagement on certain content, why are brands insisting a scripted, because uh, one influencer said, you know, I, I got this script from a brand that sells lotion. And, um, and, and she said, you know, I don't speak to my, my audience in the way that the script was, was given. 
And I said, well, why is that? And she said, because the brand manager is given the script from their boss, who's given it from their boss, who's given it from their boss, and they just want to get the job done, right? They just want to get their, have their manager be happy, and they don't have a lot of power at their level, right? So mm-hmm. they don't really want to question because it's, it's, it's probably not going to change anything. And so until the, which we talked about earlier, until the more uh, senior levels where decisions are made, there's likely not going to be a lot of change. And so I think part of the how can we create authentic, um, co-create is one that there needs to be that understanding at the decision level that you will do far better if you give your creators some space. The reason you're going to them is because they have this audience and they have this audience because they communicate in a way that connects with them. It resonates. So allow them that space. Um, And so I think it's a matter of more diversity in the at the brands at all levels from top to bottom, um, and then there's a, a need for influencers to have because the whole influencer space is very decentralized. It's not particularly organized, and so there's a, a, a need to I think for influencers to organize some way where they can organize not just around content but pay as well, mm-hmm. um, where they can support each other and and kind of use the support from each other as a lever to talk to brands and say, if you're not going to let me do this in this way, then I cannot work with you, which I don't think influencers have that aren't, aren't in that position right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how this study has actually opened eyes about so many different things like, in, like influencers and things and like we were just talking about. And, you know, I, I also think that it probably comes down to the fact that, you know what, brands have to cede control in a lot of ways. And that's, that can be a scary proposition. And I just, I think that's just as part of the, that's just as part of the conversation. But um, again, very, very, very fascinating stuff here. And now um, I also want to talk about yet another topic that is, you know, somewhat of a pain point in the industry about, (laughs) well, it's the truth. There's obviously a lack of diversity in boardrooms. And, but you know, by the way, I shouldn't say a problem in the industry. It's probably a problem across business really. There's a lack of diversity in boardrooms, but some people think that there is, that is a direct cause of the lack of diversity or understanding of diversity when it comes to influencer marketing. So Mm -hmm. can you talk about changing that pipeline a little Mm -hmm. bit? Yeah, I mean, exactly. We've, we've talked about the need to change at the decision-making level at the executive level. So how do you do that? And I think lots of brands, companies, and organizations are asking that. We at Citizen, we just put out our first uh, EDI, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion uh, report uh, publicly about what we're doing as an agency. Mm, And and I think the three pillars that three sort of areas that we look at and that I would recommend for brands and and organizations to think about is we have retain, uh, recruit, retain and then inspire. And so um, under recruit, there's the element of representation. Right. And so we started by looking at, well, what does this marketing PR agency world look like in terms of representation? How many uh, black individuals are in there are there in this industry South Asian individuals East Asian individuals but then we also so looked at the communities we were in so we're in New York we're in LA we're in uh, London UK Toronto Vancouver Montreal and we looked at the census data to see you know what did Vancouver look like what did Toronto look like we looked at what did Montreal look like New York LA all of them in terms of census data we saw that the agency data, there was very low levels of representation. So if we use that as a benchmark, we're really not moving the dial in any specific way. Mm-hmm. So we 
but when we look at the community data, like in, in Toronto, the South Asian population is, I think, like over 15% in Toronto, <laughs> the city specifically. But the number of South Asian individuals in the industry are like, I think, about 2 3 4%. Wow. And so we need to strive towards what's in the communities we're in if we mm -hmm. want to start creating content that's representative of the communities and customers employees we have and so we started with looking at our, where the agencies were we're on par but we're, we're really striving to what our communities look like and we recognize that will take time and that will mm -hmm. require different actions and activities so there's a representation piece and then once you hired ethnically diverse individuals, you need to create an environment that they can thrive and not engage. I was reading a Harvard Business Review article that was talking about how we need to move away from engagement to thriving. Engagement is not enough. Em your employees need to thrive. Mm. Um, and so what is the right environment for your employees to thrive in? And we often hear about mentorship and um, and we see that in every every sector. Mentorship has been used as a way to support the development of of your teams but if you ask i know for me i you know when i, I i've worked i worked in cor uh, corporate in finance uh, we would have a mentor and my mentor looked nothing like me they were usually white and a man mm -hmm. and really the goal of that whole program was trying to make me more like them and i was never going to be like them and i, I really wanted mentorship that allowed me to thrive and navigate a corporation as me and and that was just never the thought mentors were usually well you're senior you know, you should chat with this younger right. person. And that's not the right, like you're not getting to the right outcomes if that's how you're going to approach mentorship. And so we're looking at, at Citizen, when we did our survey of what we looked like as an as an agency to understand what representation meant and what our targets were, we also asked like, what do you need to thrive? And mentorship always comes up as, as, a, as a tool, but it's, so it's always considered a tool, but it's never really very successful in getting to the outcome mm. we want to get to. And so we're developing our own mentorship program that really starts to think about not just training mentees, not just being about mentees, but also training mentors to be mentors, mm. uh, mentors that can understand that it's about creating space for your mentee to thrive as they are um, and helping them to get what they need to feel a sense of belonging. And then the final pillar, I'll, I'll be quicker, is uh, inspire because, I mean, in this day and age, People want to be inspired. People want something to come to work. They want to feel a sense of purpose. And so we tried to understand what were important social issues to our employees and then how could we connect some of our pro bono hours to that. And so we're looking at that as well. I love so much of what you just said. I loved everything that you said. But <laughs> some of that stuff was really, really great because the truth is, is that, first of all, I do think that when it comes to just diverse hiring, I hope I hope everyone out there takes this the way it's intended. The recruiting part is almost the easiest part. It's keeping them and engaging them. And like you said, I love this, allowing them to thrive. I just think that's the problem because I've, I've spoken to I've spoken to quite a few people in the industry. And frankly, getting diverse representation in the door. Well, by the way, there's still work to be done there, of course. But the problem is once they're there, the environments are such that it doesn't really it's not something that they're comfortable with and they leave. And that's almost worse than bringing them in the first place. So it's like, there's a lot of work to be done. That's why I really appreciate what you're saying. And also I think a lot of brilliant communicators would really appreciate it and really feel viscerally how learning how to become a mentor mm -hmm. and kind of imparting your wisdom and brilliance onto other people 
is harder than actually doing the job as well as you do it. And I mean, I think that's really just such an interesting byproduct of this study and this conversation that we're having. And I'm up to, I'm actually up to the last question. And frankly, I don't know if this is really more of a summation of what we've talked about already, or maybe it's something new, but I mean, I guess you'll be the one to answer that in a minute. But I know that one of the really important things to, to you in this study is making inclusive marketing the default. So how can marketers do that? Well, it requires rolling up your sleeves and doing the work, because as you said, one, bringing in diversity is not enough, right? So it's not just about hiring mm-hmm. and then, oh, we've, we've solved everything. And so um, if you want to market, if you're, how you work externally or how, what you put out into the world externally is linked to how you work internally, right? And so if you don't have diverse teams, the likelihood of you creating campaigns that connect to what the world looks like right now, if you don't look like what the world looks like, the team that's creating, the chances of you really connecting with what's out in the world are very slim. Um, And so we need companies to commit to how they work internally, how they build teams. And and so the one is not just bringing in... um, uh, diverse candidates, but how do you keep them? How do you keep them engaged? And how do you create a safe space? So, because when with creative and communications, you want to be able to create a space where people can throw out ideas and and also say no, actually, uh, that's not going to work. And and I say this because you know we've seen some campaigns and marketing efforts fail, right? When it comes to diversity, they have there are many examples <laughs> of where companies have tried <laughs> to connect to something that's happening um, that's connected to diversity or ra- race um, and they haven't done well. And I was I was talking to a colleague who said that there's usually whispers somewhere. There's someone who has said something like this is not going to work, um, but they've just never had the space to say it or they've been very junior and they haven't been able to sit at the table and, and feel comfortable and say, I, I don't. Like, I, I know all of you senior people agree with this, but I'm, I'm really not, I'm worried that this isn't going to land. And so if mm-hmm. we work to build teams that are truly inclusive and there's truly the space for people to speak and share ideas openly, safely, it, it reflects on what is put out, uh, put outside into the, into the mm-hmm. world. And so I, uh, I think to make uh, inclusive marketing defa- the default, you've got to start internally. The better the conversation, the more it seems that the time flies quicker. And, you know, we've been at this for a half an hour and I, I could I could probably talk to you all day. I mean, we haven't even gotten to hockey yet. Um, I'm kidding. We're not going to get to hockey. <laughs> but um, no, honestly, um, Shilpa, the research of citizen relations is done is really, really fascinating. And I certainly encourage everyone out there to check it out. And um, I honestly just want to thank you for taking the time. I mean, I could easily tell how busy you are because you have your fingers in a lot of different things, I can tell. <laughs> and I really, really appreciate you took the time to speak with us today and some really, really interesting takeaways from this conversation. So um, I want to obviously thank Shilpa. I want to thank Citizen Relations for supporting this podcast. I want to thank all of you out there for tuning in. And what, I mean, I guess, I guess I'll end this where I began it. Um, as I, as I noted before, Shilpa is in Toronto, which is just a wonderful city to, um, that, in, for our neighbors to the north. So by all means, check it out in <laughs> um, Montreal, too. I'm a big fan. What can I tell you? But other than that, I'm a big fan of yours, too, Shilpa. I really appreciate the time you did your talk. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.